and so it is. Dear Shambra, it is I, Tobias, after a hiatus of a few months, coming back to close out the teacher series with Shoud 12, after an incredible year of gathering together, our eighth year in a row, not seven, eight, <laughs> for these series that we have done together, initially starting out calling these lessons, because that is where your consciousness was at the time, graduating into this thing that we call the Shoud, the collection of all of our energies together, for all of those who will listen to these materials in the years and the generations to come. So it is an honor for I, Tobias, to be here with each and every one of you to close out this beautiful series. And indeed, as the song mentioned, as we were going into the Shoud, as I was walking with each one of you in the aisles, gently touching you on the shoulder, stepping on a few feet, <laughs> giving a few hugs as this music played. Indeed, I can feel the gravity, just like you. I have this thing called a shell body, which is on earth right now, in its eighth year. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> and I can feel the gravity. I can feel the heaviness of the earth energy. You know, earth energy has more than just the physical gravity. It has a type of spiritual gravity as well. It's an ethereal, ethereal gravity that literally pulls a being down to this place of earth. This thing that you call the third dimension draws you down into it. It's seductive. It's what you would call powerful. It pulls you in for the experience, an experience potentially of many, many, many lifetimes. You know these other beings that you call the ETs or the aliens? The ones who don't necessarily have a physical body and walk on earth and get birthed into the earth, they tend to stay away from earth. They feel the gravity of the energy, the pull of this energy to earth. Not just physical gravity, but a type of spiritual gravity that pulls you in and keeps you here. Keeps you here so you can truly go through the entire process and experience of being here on earth. Otherwise, you would come here for a short visit and then want to leave, go somewhere else. And it keeps you here until you have gone through all of your own energies and your own consciousness, until you release yourself from it. Indeed, I can feel I can feel the energies coming in to me, to my shell body called Sam. You know, even when the angelic beings come in close to earth and we come in for our channels and shouts with you, if we're not planning to come into physical body, we tend to set up a type of uh, 
of a lifeline. When St. Germain comes in, or Kutumi, or any of the others, there is a whole series or levels of angelic beings who are helping to keep that particular angelic being from just being pulled right into the energy of earth so that they can remain back on the non-physical realms to do what they have chosen to do, guiding humans through this process of new energy. We chuckled as we were listening to your introductions earlier today and to the discussion of the numbers. Today indeed is a triple seven number. Now the numbers don't cause you to do things. The numbers don't create your reality. Take a look at it the other way. You create your reality and then the synchronicity or the alignment of the energies just happens to be there. So here we have a triple seven day. The triple seven has a significance, energy and a numerological significance for all of you. It is like you have planted the tool or the gift in your path before you ever got there. Knowing that you had the potential for alignment and change in your own life at that time. And then when you get to that point, as you have on this date of 777, then it opens up or unleashes a wonderful new potent form of consciousness for you. In a way you could say you knew that you were going to get to this point. Now that you have arrived, you can have your own gift that you have given. You know when numbers align like the 9944, like 3311, all of these all of these alignments are also a type of wink or nod from your spirit to you, letting you know that you are recognizing the alignments and the synchronicities in your life. When you see this type of numerological alignment, you can just smile to yourself knowing that you're truly in line with yourself. You are fulfilling your own passion here on earth. You are following the path of the highest potentials that you have chosen. Other humans may not even recognize things like the alignment of these numbers, or it may appear to them to be sheer coincidence with no underlying energetic meaning. But you know that there is distinctive meaning in this. So watch for this continual alignment. Alignment, by the way, I want to mention here today, this number that's written into the holy book, the 666, it is considered by some to be the evil number. But the 666 is the perfect alignment of completion. Each six representing an important aspect of you. The body the mind, and the spirit. When these come into full alignment, it signifies a completion, an end of an old cycle, and the beginning of a new. It's not an evil number at all, unless, of course, 
you're trying to control people, unless, of course, you fear yourself and your own involvement, and you fear your own consciousness. Then, yes, if you see this mark of the beast, as it is called, you will go into fear because you are fearing what the beast that is within you. But if you see the alignment of these three numbers, you are in a place of your own balance. You are being real and true with yourself. You will see this as the perfect alignment to move to the next level. Much as when you see the triple seven or any of these very interesting different numerological alignment. So right now, dear Shambra, there is a tremendous amount of energy in store today. It's like you buried it there for yourself. You told yourself that if you get to this point, not just of time and space, but of consciousness, it would ring a little bell. It would signify that you are here. Somehow, through all the confusion, through the fog, through the difficulties, through this whole belief in being lost, somehow you happen to make it here. So we're going to ask David, our number master, <laughs> if he would ring, he does not know about this, if he would ring the chimes seven times. And as he does, take a breath with each ring of the chime. It is your reminder to yourself. Number master, begin. Let's take a deep breath together and acknowledge this moment, acknowledge this time of our own alignment, acknowledge this time of a completion of a cycle and the beginning of a new one. You tend to work in a spiral, continual evolution and expansion, not just a circle but a spiral that continues to grow and to grow and to grow until some point it can spiral no more within its known consciousness and you go outside of the patterns of the spiral itself. That is what is happening right now, particularly as we approach this time of the quantum leap. You've gone through this thing that you know you tend to disdain at times. You call it the clearing. 
A few of you call it some other very bad names. <laughs> you see storms roll through your life. And most of you feel that these storms are coming from the outside, from other people, from the world events, maybe just from your bad luck. These storms move through your life and cause a lot of drama and cause a lot of chaos. These storms actually are not storms at all. These storms are a way, what you would call storms, are a way of clearing energy. Energy that is yours, that is you. Consciousness that is yours. But consciousness that no longer serves you in a new energy way. So things come through your life. Changes, adaptations, quantum changes to coin a phrase from our dear Linda. These things are natural. They're not signs from spirit that you're doing something wrong. They're not just the bringing in of bad luck. Do you realize that as a consciousness being, at this point, you are not magnetized, as you would say. You do not attract in bad luck from the outside. The only thing that you're attracting right now is changes within yourself. Sometimes these changes are, are difficult. Sometimes these changes have a way of disrupting some of the patterns that you've established for yourself. But the energy of the change itself is the continual evolution of your consciousness. Your consciousness the biggest reason that you're here on earth right now, evolving and expanding your consciousness. Sometimes the changes can come in wonderful ways. A few days ago, on the date of 7227, hmm. on the second day, third day of the week actually, the, there was an incredible event that happened. Many of you here were a part of that at the Ascension School, high up in the mountains in Breckenridge, Colorado. After going through three very intense days of the school, St. Germain took a pause and then talked directly, very, very directly to each and every one of you as I was lingering around the room, feeling exactly what was going on. Many of you have wondered what happened in those few precious moments in that room. Most of you have not been able to define what happened, but you know something did. Well, you just got a taste of quantum consciousness change. That is why when your mind tries to figure it out, what exactly happened there, it can't because your mind doesn't really comprehend a quantum consciousness change right now. It is beyond its own sphere of self or knowingness. During those few precious moments while Saint Germain was speaking, 
indeed much more happened than just what was reflected by the words. That point, all of you allowed this change to take place. You felt so safe in that room. You had had such a loving focus on yourself, and even new understanding about this whole process of ascension. So when St. Germain directly addressed each of you, he was also direct, directly addressing a choice you had made, a potential that you had selected. As a group, you said, let's take a quantum leap in our own consciousness right now. And it flowed through the room in a way that many of you have rarely experienced, if ever. It flowed right in and through your body and your mind. That's why your mind seemed to go numb for a moment. Your body couldn't respond. It was difficult to understand where you were or what was going on in that room at that given moment. You allowed the consciousness change to flow right through you. And you see, it didn't hurt. It wasn't painful. You didn't have to go through a lot of struggles in your life. You didn't have to go through difficulty. As many of you have been going through in your own clearing processes. And the best thing is, during those precious moments, most of you stayed out of the mental limitations. Most of you just allowed it to come flowing through. And you achieved a quantum consciousness change. The moment that you achieved that, or actually realized that in your own life, that energy in that room spread, not just linear, but multidimensional, and it immediately spread to Shambra all around the world. Some who were sleeping, some who were at work, some who were taking a long walk at the time. But shortly after three o'clock on July 2nd in Breckenridge, something happened. And it affected all of Shambra all over the world because of the consciousness connection that all of us have. It created a potential for everyone, whether they were listening or in person at the time or doing something totally different. Some experienced it at that moment and said something just happened. I don't know what, but it happened. Some experienced it a day or two later and others are experiencing it right now as we speak. But it was a change of consciousness or awareness. And as it sweeps out through the ones who call themselves Shambra, this change in consciousness now flows out to the rest of humanity and to all the beings on the angelic realms. It's not forced on them. <clears throat> they don't have to accept it. They can ignore it. They can even take that energy and twist it, 
for their own, what you would call very selfish or very low energy purposes. But it is available. It is a potential that now goes out to all across humanity. This experience of the quantum consciousness change will have many effects and implications on your life. First of all, it gives you a taste and lets you realize that to go through clearing and change doesn't mean that you have to go through a lot of suffering, mental turmoil, and all of this tension and anxiety that's typically associated with change. It can happen in a moment. As that energy then is part of your new tool set in your life, it begins to unfold. It begins to show up in subtle ways, and then it begins to show up in big ways. It starts to integrate with your day-to-day -day life so that some of your dreams, your goals and your aspirations now start to come into alignment and into your reality. It starts to do things like answer questions that have been plaguing you or troubling you for a long time and suddenly the answer is just there. Every time you get one of these synchronistic ahas, every time you get a feeling of this completion or knowingness, remember that it's coming from you, not from any of the rest of us. <clears throat> you have allowed yourself to go through a quantum consciousness change. You've allowed yourself to bypass the old and difficult way Go directly to change. Go directly to evolution of yourself. Now this <clears throat> type of quantum change also brings up issues. Issues that many of you have been facing for a long time. One of these things you're going to call a mood or an emotion swing. Anytime you go through that type of change so rapidly, the rest of you is trying to catch up to be part of that change. And part of you can wake up in the morning and feel sad. Or you can wake up in the morning and feel uncomfortable in your own skin. You may feel angry about something and just can't get it out of your mind. This is just a mood. It is just an internal reaction to the various changes that are going on in your life. It is very natural that you would have reactions because it's part of you reacting or observing the situation that's taking place. Now, so often we see you get into one of these moods and then to actually make it more intense and also to make it more difficult, you start judging the mood you're in. You say to yourself, I'm in a bad mood, but I shouldn't be because I'm Shambra. I'm a light worker and I shouldn't be in bad moods. When will I ever get this? When will I ever catch up with all of this and feel peaceful and happy in a state of bliss? Well, forget bliss. 
It's an artificial state of being. So you feel that you're in one of your moods, perhaps even depressed or anxious about something. And then you try to correct the mood. Stop right there. When you find yourself trying to correct your moods and your thoughts and emotions, just stop right there. You're only going to send yourself into more chaos and confusion. You're only actually going to dramatize that mood that you're in. You have the old thinking, good mood, bad mood. But it doesn't work that way in the new energy. Yes, it does work that way for some of the, what we would call, old energy humans that are in your life. You're going to observe it in them. But for you, it's a bit different. At that point, you are trying to correct or alter your thoughts your moods, or your emotions. Stop. Take a deep breath, then dive behind the short wall. <laughs> the short wall is the place where you can observe everything, including yourself. The short wall is the neutral, safe space, where there is no right or wrong, there is no good or evil, there's no positive and negative, it simply is. As Katumi said in our last gathering, it is just an experience, and it doesn't have to be polarized to a good or bad. In the old energy, it is a common practice to polarize, because that is how everything was occurring. You polarize an energy, let's say polarize it to good, but... In the new energy, there's no need to do that. You're in a mood. You're having one of those days, you say. But you're not really having a bad day. You're only feeling and allowing yourself the expression of the bad part of that day. What you're not seeing or feeling or allowing to come forth in its united state not the country, a united state of being, is the good part of the day. And once you recognize that your bad day is just equally a good day, and you recognize that there truly is no bad or good, it is just an expression of what's taking place in the moment, suddenly you find out that actually there is no good or bad, your state of emotion or mood is not neutralized. In other words, you're not counterbalancing it so that there is no feeling or emotion. You're actually merging them together in the highest state of expression. You're allowing whatever is at that moment without judging it as a bad day, without judging it as feeling tired or depressed, because every time there is a feeling of tired, what you're not noticing is right in there with it, in a unified state, is a feeling of energized. Every time you're feeling sad, sad about letting go of some things in your life, there is also the unified energy of happy and joyful and free. 
Every time you judge yourself as being angry, right alongside of it, actually integrated and woven perfectly into it, is the energy of, of being happy, carefree, and accepting. When you stand behind the short wall, as you get into one of these mood swings that humans tend to do so often, you realize that you don't need to infuse that mood swing with the drama. The drama that comes from the judgment of what it is. The drama that comes from the, oh, what's wrong with me? Why am I having a bad day? The drama of having to run to, to a reader or look in the astrology chart to figure out why the gods up above are inflicting this on you you realize that it is you you're just putting a focus on an expression or an aspect of that particular moment but unified right into that are all of the other expressions go sit behind the short wall observe you in that emotion in the moment observe the sadness don't try to kill it don't try to deny it observe it and as you sit observing the sad you on that particular day as you relax get rid of the anxiety you'll also be able to start seeing the happy you the fulfilled you, the innocent you, the stupid you, all of the different aspects. And you will realize in that moment that none of them guide or control your life. You'll realize that you, you can choose to express all aspects, no aspects, or just a few aspects of yourself in that moment. We bring this point up in particular on this day because it is a common practice for metaphysicians to try to focus on what you would say good thoughts, happy thoughts. There is this whole movement of mind and thought control that's only going to get you in trouble. Because once you assign that type of control to your mind, that type of guidance just to your mind, allow your mind <coughs> to judge good or bad and to try to squelch or put down the other emotions, you are denying part of yourself. Every time you deny part of yourself, it goes off into another dimension. It exists, it is real, and it will come back to get your attention. So the important thing is during the mood swings, take a moment, do a breath or two or three. Go behind your own short wall and observe the you in the moment and realize that there are many, many other expressions of that you. The first thing that it's going to do is allow you to get over the anxiety in that moment. Allow you to get out of that why me what have I done wrong? What do I need to do to make myself perfect? In this moment of letting go of the anxiety, you're probably going to have a good laugh at yourself for getting so caught up in something that's really not you 
really not the full you. It's a very liberating experience, and as I said, some some of you could have a difficult time with it because you're used to feeding off of your own drama. You're used to having these drama situations and emotions and mood swings, and that's how you've been keeping yourself barely alive. You fear that if you stand behind the short wall, it's going to get real boring. Everything will be neutralized. Everything will be very, very, um, how to say, very boring. It's not it at all. As you do this, as you allow yourself to watch you, you're going to realize that there's so much more depth and dimension. You don't need to infuse drama to make your life relevant and exciting. You'll find a new depth that is very difficult to describe because it's not mental, it's not emotional. It is the full expression of you. Then you're going to understand that what true personal creativity is. In other words, how you create yourself in every moment. It will give you a total renewal and interest in your own life. You know, you've many of you have lost interest in your own life. You're just allowing that life to just kind of go on and on, but you've really lost interest in it. I recently did my first of many passion workshops in this grand place that you call Finland. We talked about getting to the real passion, getting excited about you and life again. We will continue to do more of these. Part of the whole experience is to get out of the drama, get behind the short wall. And with that <clears throat> and a sip of water, I would like to tell a short story. Oh, yay! <laughs> Take a deep breath and let's go into the short dimension. <laughs> I'd like to tell a story about a dear toy maker by the name of Klaus, who lived in the land of Austria a long time ago, but not so long ago at all. Let's take a deep breath and feel the energy for it's more than just a story of words. It's a story of feelings. It's a story of energy. And it's a story of each of you. At the age of 12, Klaus <coughs> went to work as an apprentice for the local toy maker. Klaus had always loved working with his hands and playing with wood, creating things out of it. As a very, very young boy, <clears throat> he would take his knife in hand and whittle away at the wood, hours and hours, not creating anything in particular, but just loving the feel of the wood, of the knife, and of whatever he happened to be creating. So at the age of 12, his parents said, Klaus, it's time you started making a living, doing something with your life. 
And they sent him off to work with the local toy maker. Now the master, the master toy maker, was very skilled in his profession and was known far and wide for the quality, for the durability of his toys. And he specialized in making little toy soldiers, little being about almost a foot tall. And he made the toy soldiers in every different type of rank and position in the military. And because he was well known throughout all the lands of Europe, he brought the, the uniform of many different countries to the toy soldiers, shipped them all over the lands. Now Klaus, Klaus was naturally gifted and talented, and he caught on quickly to the methods and the procedures that his master taught him how to do. But even though he was adept with a knife and with the sandpaper and with all the other tools of making the toy soldiers, Klaus found himself easily distracted. If he didn't focus all of his energies on that making that particular type of toy wooden soldier, he found that he was shaping the wood into a variety of other things. Some days while he was working away with the knives and the saws and all the other tools, he found that instead of making a toy soldier, he would make a little toy wooden bear. Some days he would make a little toy doll. And of course, this highly disturbed his master. His master appreciated that Klaus was gifted and talented, but he didn't think that it was very amusing that Klaus would waste valuable work time making all of these other creations. He would often chastise Klaus, saying, nobody is interested in buying little toy bears. Nobody at all is interested in buying a little wooden sculpture of a child, of a baby. We are known as the maker of soldiers, and that is what you will do. As much as Klaus loved his job, he hated the conformity. And for ten years as an apprentice, he found it so difficult to focus, to continue making these little toy soldiers. So after ten years, he went to the master one day, ten years to the day. He went to the master and said, Dear sir, I'm indebted to you for your teaching, for what I have learned with the woods and the paints, with the silk and the cloth, for all I know. But now it is time for me to leave, to go off on my own, to have my own shop where I can create anything that I want. And the master scoffed at Klaus and said, Young boy, you are gifted and talented, but you are a failure in your work. You don't understand what people want. You don't have a focus or a direction. You're a daydreamer. You're a wanderer. I appreciate your service as an apprentice but at the same time, I'm relieved to let you go, for you've caused much agony 
and anxiety in my life. So with the meager savings that Klaus had put together as a toy maker's apprentice, and the help of a few friends, Klaus opened up Klaus's toy making and doll shop. Klaus was in his passion because now he could order any type of woods that he chose, and of course he chose nothing but the finest. He could order the finest pigments from Italy that went into the paints to create the realism of the dolls and the toys that he was going to create. And of course, he ordered the finest silks and cloths from France and from lands far, far away as India. Klaus had a dedication to perfection, his perfection, and it mattered not to him what type of toy doll that he created. He didn't want to focus on one thing. He didn't want to focus on soldiers, or royalty, or any one thing. And his greatest joy was opening his shop each morning, smelling the fragrance of the woods and the paints and the materials that would go into his creations, and going into the back shop and beginning his work. Klaus realized right away that he so loved his work and didn't want to be disturbed during the day that he didn't even hire anyone else to help in his shop. It was just him. He loved going into the back rooms, beginning the whittling and the sawing and the sanding, not even knowing what he was creating in that moment. It just manifested itself. He so loved doing his work that he would often ignore the little bell at the door that signified that a customer was there to buy. Oh, and they, they came. They came not just from the village. They came from all around the countryside because Klaus's toy dolls were fascinating. There was a realism to them like none other. Some said that these toy dolls actually seemed to come to life. But Klaus didn't sell it very many because he was so occupied with making them. He wasn't attending to the customer side of the business. Klaus would sit down with the block of wood in hand and he would just feel it. He would feel the texture of the wood. He would feel its grain and its hardness and its quality. He would hold it close to him and breathe with it, as strange as that may sound to some people. He wouldn't try to focus on what that block was going to look like when he was done. He would just let his hands start working with it become totally absorbed now in the cutting and the sanding and the shaping of this once block of wood now into an expression of himself. One day, 
he would make a child, a baby. And as he was whittling away and stitching away, even making the little shoes out of the finest leather, using the best threads, he was actually imagining himself when he was a baby, being held in the arms of his mother, rocked back and forth. And this feeling and this passion would flow out from him into the block of wood, now transformed into the most beautiful baby. And as he took the paints to create the fine, fine detail, it literally seemed to bring the baby to life. He personally stitched all of the clothing. He personally put the hairs in place. He absorbed himself, as many of you have often absorbed yourself, in the beauty of the work, of the moment of expression. And he loved every doll that he created. He loved when he created a little doll. It looked like a fairy in the woods that he remembered seeing when he was very, very young. He remembered when he saw this wonderful family, not necessarily his, but a family walking down the street, imagining what it would have been like to be in that family. The young children, the happy parents, all dressed in their Sunday finest, going off to church. And he would start to carve and create this family, clothe it and bless it. He would create the whole family. He was also known far and wide for these strange type of dolls that he would create. He called them the, the saints. But they didn't look like any typical saints of the church. They were angelic beings that didn't have the harsh features of human beings. And when somebody would ask him the name of the particular saint, who he had brought to life in this wooden doll form, he would mumble some name, a saint or and people would then create their own names and say, yes, this is Saint Amicius, this is Saint Christopher, this is Saint whatever. It didn't matter to them because the customers loved these dolls that had been carved into these beautiful saints. Klaus made dolls out of just about everything. He made dolls that looked like kings and queens. Not the kings and the queens who actually sat on the thrones at the time, but a king and the queen that he felt within himself. He carved, what would it be like to be a king, my own king? He would carve that out of wood and stitch it out of cloth finish it with the paints. So you get the point. Klaus loved his work. Because he loved it so much, it infused an energy into every doll that he created. It brought to life that doll. It carried the energy of his love, of different parts of him, of his wishes and his desires, and of his imagination. 
Now as the years passed by, Klaus realized that he sold very, very few of these wooden dolls, which actually created more of a demand. The people who came to buy from him were frustrated and aggravated by his lack of service and attention. Oftentimes, they would find that his shop was closed up, but they could see him in the back working away. His friends and local townspeople said, Now, Klaus, why don't you hire some help? You will sell many, many more dolls. You could be a very wealthy man because your dolls are noted for their perfection and for a type of energy, a type of vitality not found in any other dolls in all of the land. Klaus did not necessarily want to work with anyone else. But the real motivation was that Klaus didn't really want to sell his dolls. He was so attached to them. His back room was lined now with thousands and thousands of the finest wooden toy dolls that you could ever imagine. Some animals, a lot of angelic beings, fairies from the woods, and a lot of different type of humans were now represented on his shelves. As the years passed by, now Klaus was coming to be an elderly man. He was happy with his life. He never married. He never had children. He did very, very few things with other people because he loved his work. That was his family. As years passed by, Klaus began to notice that his eyesight was getting very, very poor. It was difficult, even was with using glasses, to focus now on the finest details, the pupils in the eyes when they were painted, the stitching in the robes and the capes of his creations. He noticed that his hands also were becoming very painful, difficult to move the joints and where he could once create a doll in two or three days, now it was taking him two or three times as long. He took a deep sigh one day and realized that his day as a doll maker was coming to an end. Even though there was a bit of sadness, he looked up at all the dolls lining the walls of his workshop and realized that he truly wasn't alone. So one day, Klaus decided it was time to retire. And he knew now that in order to retire, and to be comfortable, to keep himself fed and clothed, and to also now perhaps do a little bit of traveling, that he would have to sell all of his dolls. This brought him great sadness, but also a feeling of freedom. He had enjoyed them for many years. Some of the dolls on the shelves had been there 40 years of time. He realized it was time to let go. <clears throat> so he put a large sign on the front of his store. It said, all items 
on sale. He hired some young friends to help come in and sell the entire inventory, and he opened it up to the public. And within days, every doll in that store was sold. Oh, for a premium price, of course. Giving Klaus all the comfort that he would need in his finances, in his retirement. Now the store was empty. The customers were gone. The dolls were gone. And yes, Klaus had emotions, had mood swings, was feeling a bit sad and empty, not knowing now exactly what to do with the rest of his life. Short story. <laughs> Klaus decided to go take a walk around town. He had seen so little of it over the years. Now was the time to start to start doing these things. As he was walking along the river paths close to the city, he came across the young couple walking their child and their dog, and he instantly recognized that dog. He said, I carved a dog just like that. The same eyes, the same fur. Well, perhaps dogs tend to look like dogs. Perhaps it's just a coincidence. As he walked closer to the city, Klaus came across a very unusual-looking man looked rather eccentric, different, and Klaus immediately recognized him as one of his dolls, stopped him and said, Dear sir, what is it that you do? And this man, somewhat startled, said, I am a poet. I'm a storyteller and a wanderer. And who are you? He said, I'm Klaus, formerly a doll maker. And I seem to think that we have met before. And the poet shook his head and said, no, proceeded down the path. Klaus continued walking along. He came across a teenage boy and again instantly recognized him as one of his dolls. And now was beginning to think that there was something very strange happening here. He stopped the young boy and asked about his family and his background, where he came from. The young boy seemed frightened, frightened by this old man who was questioning him and ran off. And the rest of the day, Klaus encountered people and animals and even a few angelic beings who looked and felt exactly like his dolls. This obviously confounded Klaus, not sure what was going on, so he went back to his workshop, sat down, and did a lot of thinking. Why was it that he was encountering his dolls now in a living, animated form, a biological form? As he thought about it, he said, I've got to find out what's going on here. So he planned a large banquet. And he went out under the streets and again encountered many of those who he had seen before and some new ones. 
who all looked like his dolls. He gave them an invitation to a grand feast at the finest, finest restaurant in town. Klaus was determined to find out what was going on here. And by gathering all of these, well, perhaps people, perhaps dolls, he thought he could discover what was really going on. Now came the night of the grand feast, and the finest of foods and wine were brought out. And before the eating began, Klaus, still questioning what was going on, still overwhelmed by meeting all of these dolls now who have seemed to come to life, Klaus had the waiters pour wine, the finest white wine, for everyone at the table, and lifted his glass and said to you. And at that moment that they started to sip, every one of the beings who was seated in the restaurant disappeared. And Klaus, in that moment, realized they were all part of him to begin with. They were all expressions of himself. Now he had brought them back home. He had brought them back into himself. In that moment of integration, Klaus said to himself, taking a deep breath with a drink of wine, Jean Cor, I meet me again. Jean Cor, he said in broken French, much like Caldra's here. <laughs> me again. I meet myself again. And in that moment of that integration of every part of him, Klaus realized what he would do for the rest of his life. He was going to be the master teacher. He would gather together all the young boys and young men who wanted to be the doll makers. And instead of telling them they had to make toy soldiers or royalty or just one thing, he would teach them to use their imagination, to use parts of themselves to create the finest of whatever they wanted to create. He opened Klaus's school of toy making and dolls and went on to become one of the most successful teachers ever. Now, why do we tell this long story of Klaus? It is your story also. It is a way of saying that, dear Shambra, you have so many parts of you. You daydream. You dream at night. Even right now you're going off into the multi-dimensional realms, creating parts of yourself, imagining things, having your aspirations and dreams, but they have been out there existing in your own multi-dimensional toy shelf your own shop where you have crafted parts of you, the royal part of you, the royal pain-in-the-ass part of you, 
the young part of you, the if you were a young girl, part of you has created a young boy to help understand what it would have been like to be in that aspect. You've created the part of you that could have been a soldier, that could have been just about anything. You have parts of you all over that you have created out of your passion and love. You think and imagine different potentials. You'd like to be a great writer, a scientist, a cook, a business person, an angel, a bird. You know, every time that you have a thought or an imagination, you create it. Maybe not with your hands, maybe not out of wood and paint, but you create it and it exists somewhere, just not here. You test out different potentials by acting them out in different ways. Some of you wonder what it would have been like to be unmarried in this lifetime and to travel around the world. And you literally create that. And there is that doll of you that has been out there doing it. You don't recognize all these parts of you, your creations, but they're there. Just as Klaus's toy dolls were really there on the shelves, at least until he released them. You have the part of you that you imagine. What would it have been like to be wealthy, to be powerful? What would it have been like to come out with an invention that would have cured cancer? What would it have been like to counsel a group of people whose lives were changed forever? These are your dolls. These are your toys that you have created and they're real. They're real. In this time of new consciousness, you meet yourself again. Jean Cor. Me again. Very interesting thing happens right now. You're in this moment. You have all these creations of yourself that have been out there and now your paths all seem to cross at the same time. Synchronicity? Perhaps. The alignment of the numbers? Part of the plan. Your evolving consciousness? Absolutely yes. You're going to meet yourself and sometimes you're going to see yourself represented through another person, through an animal, a bird or a dog, through a presence that seems to be in the room with you as a wisp or a shadow, but then goes away. Even in a tree, perhaps even in the drops of rain, you're going to meet yourself again potentials of you that have been out there for a long time and are now coming into this reality right now. 
Ja encore. It's like a personal deja vu. Deja vu is the recollection of an experience that you have dreamt about or created in another realm. And you have that recall of it happening in this reality. Jean Cor is you again, meeting yourself. It's going to be a very interesting phenomenon, because at first there's going to be the tendency to put it outside of you. Why does that particular person trigger something in you, just like the person that Klaus saw walking along the street reminded him of his toy doll. Jean Cor, it's you again. But the you that has been out there exploring other realms, now coming into your reality here. It's going to be a strange feeling at first, like it was for Klaus running into humans who look like his dolls. You're going to scratch your head and wonder what's going on. But perhaps you, like Klaus, can gather all of them, invite them all back in for a grand banquet. You pay the bill. <laughs> a celebration where you are in joy with every part of you. Yes, the part that Perhaps you didn't like so much the part that got angry or irritated with other people, even though you tried to suppress it and hold it back. The part of you that was the young child that was hurt, that hid in the closet or under the bed, or ran behind the bushes to hide from humans. A part of you that had the greatest dreams and aspirations as a young person, when you were in college or university, when you were such an idealist and wanted to change the world but never did, or perhaps you did and you just don't realize how you changed it. But the part of you that was going to save the dolphins, that was going to save the spiders, that was going to save everything, the part of you that you feel you got sidetracked away from, you know, that part of you is one of your toy dolls. Not living in wood or skin, but living in another dimension, acting out and feeling what it is like to aid and assist others. It's time to bring them back in. It's time to meet yourself, Ja Encore me again. It's just me again. Your paths now all align and converge together. You see, before the paths were going off in so many different directions, you were so busy with all of the yous of your life. But you see, now the paths come back together. Jean Cor me again. Whether you imagine it or do it for real, sit down. Invite your imagination, yourself, the you of you, to all come back in. Drink 
the liquid ambrosia, the elixir that allows all of you to come back together. I'm not suggesting wine, whatever it is that you choose, but a celebration. The celebration meeting together again. As you do this, you're going to be fascinated by all of the talent and the creativity and the breadth of experience that not only you have had, but that your entire entourage of yourself has had. Bringing them back together, meeting you again. Dear Shambra, doesn't happen all at once, but it begins happening now. Jean Cor, the deja vu of you. You came here to this earth at this time to inspire consciousness. And we use that term that has already been developed by Chambra, by Crimson Circle, by Dear Linda. We use that term, inspiring consciousness. That is what you are here to do now. Remember when you were energy holders? Doesn't that seem like eons of time ago? Energy holders and proud of it. Shouldering the responsibility of whatever energy it happened to be. A few years ago you graduated into energy movers. Moving the energy for others, moving the energy for yourself and for all of consciousness. And now you are energy consciousness inspirers. Just like Klaus went on to become a teacher of the woodworking and toy making, you now go on to be teachers of consciousness, inspiring others to expand their consciousness, their horizons. Consciousness is awareness. It is actually not an energy. Awareness is not energy. You use energy as a tool of your consciousness, just like Klaus would use the paintbrushes and the saws and the sandpaper as the tools of his trade. You use energy as a tool of your consciousness. Consciousness is awareness. You are the inspirers of consciousness and awareness on earth right now. That is why you are still here. That is what you have to look forward to going forth. You still have plenty of vitality, plenty of life force coming through you. You still have many, many more years on this planet to do the work of inspiring consciousness for all of humanity. There's plenty for you to do and plenty who are willing to listen to everything that you have to do. We come to the end of a cycle here, and as I stated before, this is more than just a date of 777. Today literally completes an agreement that we had with each other. 
an agreement to come to earth, you in the physical form and I in my grand spirit form, to go through eight series that leads to the teacher series, which we are now concluding in these very moments. An agreement that I would be here along with those from the Crimson Council to love and to guide you, to humor you, to sometimes prod you along the way, to do whatever it took. Recently I said that I would be staying on earth up to ten years of time depending on the balance, depending on where you were. And now I know at this point, dear friends, my exact date of departure, because I have a shell body that's waiting for me, I have that gravity of earth that's pulling me back in. So I have made a choice for myself that as of July 19th, 2009, that will be my final channel, my final appearance to this group of Shambra. At that time, I will fully occupy the body of Sam, who will be ten at the time. I will meet through Sam, I will meet many of you again, but in the flesh. You won't know me by Tobias and you won't know me by Sam, but you'll know me in my eyes, just like Klaus the Toymaker knew his own creations the moment he saw them. We will know each other. During the next two years, we'll continue to work with all of you with the new energy and to inspire consciousness for all of humanity. And after my departure, oh, it is, it is bittersweet. It is like Klaus, who had all of his dolls lined up on the shelf, bittersweet, letting them go, knowing that it was time to clear the shelves. It's bittersweet for, for me, knowing that I've had such joy with each and every one of you, not just in these gatherings, but in our other times as well. We've ridden down the highway together. Some of you, you're driving truly scares me. I would <laughs> never let Sam get in the car with some of you. We've walked along the lakes. We have read many, many fine books together. We've shared a lot of meals. And a lot of times, laying in your bed, just before you fall asleep, having a few talks. But the time will come for me, two years from now, after ten of these series, and even look at the numerology of July 19th, 2009. The time will come for me to finish my my agreement with you. And at that time, Adamus Saint Germain will come in as the steward of the Crimson Council, as the bridge between the Crimson Council and the other realms in the Crimson Circle on Earth. He will be accompanied by Katumi, by Kuan Yin, 
and very specifically by the energy of Shambra. There will be some shouts after that date in 2009 where it will just be Shambra, you. Other times it will be Saint Germain and his aspects. Oh yes, he's going to bring in <laughs> Mark Twain and Pythagoras and many of his other aspects for direct channels with you. He'll bring in Katumi and many others, but my time with you, my time is Tobias, Tobiwa, will come to an end, come to the a completion of a cycle that we had together. So no tears now, for we have another two years of this basic training together, another two years of the shouts, another two years of inspiring consciousness for all of humanity. I love you dearly and look forward to these times that we have together. And so it is.